This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 17, 2 Kings 17, and uh, just a a quick, um, just all of you know that we do stream every service online, and so I want to encourage you um, to uh, perhaps those who aren't in the area or um, are checking churches out or you just want them to just be a part of what, what's happening here and getting into the Word, uh, tell them where they can find us, and that is on Facebook. Uh, we stream on Facebook, uh, and we also stream on YouTube. And so we have those two um, uh, forms of media available um, for people to uh, connect um, uh, live and while we're, we're uh, live. And so with that in mind, though, I want to give a shout out um, to uh, a dear friend of Alex, right, Lewis and family, and uh, and he. Um, so, some of you will know. Uh, well, I'll just say this: he is a he is a Marine. So, as we as we know, he's a Marine. Those of you who are Marines would say, "Are you serious?" Any Marines out there? That's it? He's fading, Lewis. He's fading. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you can do it for him at home. But anyway, we welcome you and your family, and we welcome all of you. We're here to get into God's Word, and uh, we're just... Uh, this chapter right here, it reminded... So I was thinking of a couple places in Scripture to look to as far as that last song that we did and also... Um, as we have um, just this chapter before us in second or Revelation chapter two, uh, this is to uh, the angel of the church in Ephesus, and uh, this is what is to be written for the church in Ephesus: uh, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Uh, Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know, I, I always remind you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament through and through. And even as we read through those verses in Revelation chapter 2, and this is a letter to the church in Ephesus, we see how it is that God has some words of commendation and he is um, encouraging them in those things that are, that are they're strong in. But at the same time, he says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You know, some of us are at that point, perhaps even now, to where we're, we're in jeopardy of, of losing that first love. Of, of, uh, remember when you first came to the Lord and you had that passion, that zeal, and that desire 
to serve him and to spread the gospel, to tell everyone about the salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Remember that um, you could never get tired of coming to church and being a part of what is happening within the church. Remember that, how it is that you opened up scripture and you could read uh, and, and you couldn't get enough of reading. Um, remember that place and go back to it. Do those things that you did at first. But he also says this, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so it's the same God. He's also in the same breath. He's warning. If you don't repent though, if you don't like correct this, which I am pointing out to you, that is wrong in your life, then then there are going to be consequences. The, lo- the law of sowing and reaping is true through and through. It doesn't change. And so for us, keep that in mind as we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 17 and consider the Israelites and what it was that the Lord was doing in and through them. So again, it's the same God And I'm glad that he doesn't change with the seasons and the times in which we live in. He's the same through and through. Now, have you ever heard the statement or question, why do bad things happen to good people, right? First, the question begins with the false assumption that there are good people, right? Number one problem. (laughs) Secondly, this question also falsely assumes that all unfavorable circumstances are bad. That's an assumption. We begin with those premises, though. Thirdly, this question assumes that bad or unfavorable circumstances possess no intrinsic value whatsoever. That there's no value to them. They're worthless. Why am I even going through this? You know, I, we go to Scripture to correct our thinking if it's, if it's gone astray. We always go to it so that we can get a proper perspective of what is reality. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the premise that there are good people Well, it's false. It's proven false. If we go to Scripture and we understand that there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's only one that walked the face of this earth blameless, sinless. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Also, the third point that I was making that we assume that bad or unfavorable circumstances possess no intrinsic value whatsoever. Then what do you say about Romans 8.28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Those who love love. Uh, loving God um, reveals itself uh, in obedience, in trusting, in having faith, and in uh, submitting to the authority of God's word. 
And so as we do that, we consider Romans 8.28, and we can't say that anything that we experience and go through has no value. Everything has value. Truth is reality, no matter our opinion. We are not higher than God, and He determines what is truth. Uh, Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Who determines what is bad? Who determines what is good? Well, we know the answer. God determines that. And it's found in his word. That's why I love going through his word and spending that time with the Lord because he's the one that reveals these things to me. He's the one that further establishes his truth in my heart. That when I come across a certain situation, I can better discern what is good and what is bad, what is a right decision and what is a bad decision. Well, the Israelites, they knew that truth was found in God and yet they were the ones that were testing God. It's no different than you and I today. Even though we know the source of who determines, of truth, of who determines what is good and what is bad, it's interesting how we ourselves do the very same thing that the Israelites did in the day, in the, in the, in the day of King Hosea. And we're going to take a look at that. But the Israelites tested God time and time again and realized over and over that God is patient and He's merciful. There's no way that they could have missed that God is patient and He's merciful. But He's also just. And He is sovereign. And there is a point where His long-suffering is fulfilled. It's complete. And His discipline begins. Judgment is experienced. And this is what we'll see this evening with the Israelites. For us, it should serve as a clear warning and a time also of growing in our understanding of what to ask God to reveal in our own lives. If it is present in any way, why is that good? You know, when, when we sit here in church and we have this conviction overwhelm us, just know that that's good. Because it's at that point that we have an opportunity. God is telling us, hey, son or daughter, this is the one thing I want you to take care of. Re remember those words to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? It was that revelation, that, that, that thing that God brought to the surface, that at that point God gave them an opportunity to confess it and to repent it, to turn from that. And so conviction is good. It should be experienced often, if not every time we come together, at some point within the study of God's Word. It's revealed in order for us to repent of anything that would shame the name of the Lord. 
anything that would bring on the consequences of unattended and unrepented sin. The psalmist said in, one, in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Heavenly Father, we want to commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We want to be, Lord, that man or woman that understands that you are Lord. You are the creator of the universe. There is no one above you. We want to be those men and women that yield our very lives to you. That we completely surrender, uh, giving to you, offering to you ourselves as living sacrifices. Lord, denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following you. Proving that we are truly genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. Who is not only Savior, but he is Lord. And so, Father, speak to us this evening, I pray. May your spirit give us understanding, teaching us all things, leading us in all truth. May you be honored and glorified. And Lord, may your church be stirred up. May we be humble before you. And yearn, desire to hear from you. And so, it's with that posture, Lord, that we come to you at this moment. Lord, may our hearts and our ears be inclined to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, we begin. It says, In the twentieth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. Now, if we... Um, just a little reminder is, as far as who Hoshea uh, was. He was a man who assassinated uh, Pekah, who reigned, uh, and he reigned in his place. Back in 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 30, uh, it says, Then Hoshea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and struck him down and put him to death, and reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. And so this is, now we pick up as far as Israel is concerned, and we continue uh, with this uh, king who served. He reigned for nine years. It was a brief nine years, and he's described as having done evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, but at the same time, he wasn't, he wasn't, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but he wasn't as evil as most of the previous kings. But he was still evil. But he was not the worst king. 
I think of how sometimes when we compare ourselves to other people, <laughs> we can do the same thing. We, uh, we say, well, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not that great, but I'm not as bad as, and name your person, right? Well, when we, are, when we compare ourselves to each other, um, we can tend to justify our sin or compromise. But when we compare ourselves to righteousness, to God's word, we always fall short. And that's good. This is, it's good in the sense to where we're always striving for the character of God in our lives. We'll never achieve it this side of heaven. But let me tell you that when, when we are living out our lives in Christ... We should be striving for that, though. What are you striving for? Are you striving for perfection? Being able to uh, resemble Christ in your life? It should be. Not that you'll ever be perfect, but we should be striving for perfection. Now, take note. For all who say, God made me who I am and loves me just as I am. What this really means is God is allowing my fallen nature by overlooking it. And I can be the same worldly person I've always been and still be considered a child of God. It invites compromise is what it does. You know, well, I'm just, I'm just being real, Right? It's like, well, what do you mean? Because we have to ask the question, what do you mean by that? Like there's, in one sense, what you mean by that is I'm just being genuine with you. I'm, I'm revealing to you like what's on my heart. And in another sense, it could be like what the world says. Don't judge me. Who do you think you are? This is the way God made me. And so what if I'm the way I am? as far as my, my sin and compromise or my weaknesses and all that. But really, we should be coming alongside each other and encouraging each other to grow up, to take responsibility for our actions, to not remain in the same place. You know, that's a faithful brother. For me, my, my brothers, if you were to... You know, of course, in love we come to each other, but you were to point something out to me to where I came across in a way to where it was like, yeah, that's, that, that wasn't very like Christ-like in whatever way, then I would appreciate that. I don't appreciate it from my wife, but I would appreciate it from a brother. <laughs> I'm just being real. <laughs> no, but even, you know what's funny, and I say that, but, you know... Sometimes initially when, when you do have someone that points something out, initially it's not received well, but if you just think about it, what happens is you realize that that person could be right. And you, you ask the Lord to reveal anything that, that is not of the Lord. And we ought to humble ourselves before him, Right? You know, John, First uh, John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Anybody want to know if you, if you are his? You can see these verses throughout the New Testament. This is one of them. It's, he writes, by this we may know. We may have knowledge, uh, understanding, um, a, a, a clear uh, perspective, knowing that we are in him, in Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So much for remaining in our, in our sin, right? Remaining the same person. There's no way that we can, we can say that that is okay in our own lives and be in him. I guess it would do us good to read God's word and understand his character. Because remember, it's not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his character is consistent, Genesis through Revelation. Well, coming back to 2 Kings 17, uh, just because Hosea did not do as much evil as the other kings, judgment came nonetheless. Even though he did less evil, and even though he resisted the authority of King Assyria. So he resisted the oppression of the king of Assyria, and yet it was, you could say, it was too little too late. He did less evil, but he still did evil. He still followed through with the sin of Jeroboam, which we've gone over that time and time again. You see, judgment comes not when we determine it is fitting. When we determine that it is fitting that God's patience has run out. But when he determines our hearts are ripe for God's wrath, his judgments, or his discipline. There's a point when we continue to rebel against the Lord to where it's his determination. He's the one that chooses, decides, and says, this is enough. You have completed my patience. I've been merciful toward you. Your heart is hardened. And judgment or discipline or my wrath is upon you now. You know, it's like a child who's in a state of rebellion and demands more patience by giving him just a little bit more because perhaps he is owed understanding after all. Be patient with me. You ought to understand me at this point and why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. After all, isn't that how God is with us? No, actually, again, if we, if we read Scripture, if we see who God is, there's a point to where he says, that's it. That's enough. You don't determine that. I don't determine that. And I don't want to test him. I know there are, there are many people who are testing him. Even today, you may be, you may be watching, listening online. When are you going to confess and repent? 
Not today. Why? Because that person is saying, I determine when enough's enough. God may determine that for you. God allowed Hosea to be bound. He allowed him to be imprisoned by the king of Assyria. And he did so because he was disloyal toward the king. Remember that he was oppressed by the king of Assyria, and so was the northern kingdom. So the king of Assyria found out that he was building an alliance with Egypt, even, who was in conflict with Assyria. And so once Hosea was imprisoned, the king of Assyria invaded and besieged Samaria. And we need to keep in mind, the Lord allowed all of this to happen for a reason, as we will learn in a few moments. Verse 6 says this, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's a done deal. He captured Samaria. It's, it's believed that upwards of 28,000 were a plus were taken into captivity. So some, some notes uh, to consider, some points to consider. It took 200 years from the time of Solomon to this point for the kingdom to fall. 200 years. Now, we've gone through Judges. We've gone through 1 Kings. We've gone through 2 Kings, right? We know everything that's taken place. We know how the northern kingdom, I mean, it's, it's split, there's the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. There's a reason for that. We know the sin of Jeroboam of the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom, as we'll see in a few moments, uh, they weren't very far from doing what the northern kingdom was doing. 200 years. To the fall. Is God not patient? How can, how, can you, how can we accuse God of not being patient? God was long-suffering. God was merciful. And God was gracious. You see, it's the same God. Now, for the Israelites, this was humiliating. This was degrading to them. I mean, being, being taken captive... I mean, the, the king of, the, uh, of Israel was taken into captivity and thrown into prison. And tens of thousands of Israelites were taken into captivity. Was it God's fault that this happened? It was not because God was unable to deliver them. It was not because God hadn't given them ample warning and made multiple attempts to lead them to repentance. It was because they had rejected God and his righteousness that the king of Assyria conquered the northern kingdom and carried the Israelites away into Assyria. You know, I'm reminded of, of Romans chapter 1. Which we know as we've studied through Paul's letter to the Romans, we know that, like in verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts 
of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Same thing that was happening in Israel, in this day. We're going to read a little bit more as far as the details are concerned, but this is exactly what was happening. A godless society, even though these were the people of God. You know, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, so it is in the time of the northern kingdom. At the time it fell. And as we continue, we're going to see the reasons why this, the northern kingdom fell. Remember, again, God is love, but he is also just, and he is sovereign. You know, his, his kindness draws us into himself, but it should be that, that insistent word of extending the hand of grace toward you. Today, confess and repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Prove it by the, the manner in which you conduct yourself. Look to him, desire him above all. Allow the word of God to govern your life. That's the kindness of God being extended to each and every one of us. Every time you hear that, and every time you reject that, there is, in a way, a layer of hardness that continually is growing over your heart. And so we need to understand God is love, but he's also just and he is sovereign. Verse 7, let's continue. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. I want to repeat that because they, the word gives us exactly why it was that all of this was happening. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out, uh, up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under, under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. 
And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Now, from the perspective of the world, again, the world would look at this because they... They, they don't have morals. They, the world um, doesn't have uh, a firm foundation upon which to stand on. It's always shifting. Uh, it depends on the day in which we live in as far as what you do. When in Rome, right? You do as the Romans. You live as the Romans. You partake as the Romans. And so that is the mindset of the world how do I know that? Because I was a part of the world system at one point. I was fully entrenched in it. And that is the mindset that I had. I'm part of the world and therefore I'm going to enjoy the world for all it has to offer. And everything it had to offer just came up short. It was empty. It didn't bring complete satisfaction. So the world would say, isn't this a little drastic? For simply having sinned against the Lord their God, you, you would think that, that God being so big you know, would, would you know, have a little bit more compassion on them and give them a little bit more room. I mean, wow, I mean, what's the worst they did there? Why, why wouldn't God warn them first? Oh, you mean again? They've been warned, you see, over and over and over and over. There is a such thing as absolute truth. And for God's people, God's truth is to be followed closely. To reflect His glory, to bless Him. We, we, our purpose in life is to bring Him glory. That's our purpose in life. And I tell you what, it's exciting. It really is. I can tell you that I, the more I learn um, and the closer I get to the Lord, the, more, the bigger challenge it is. It's continually doing a work in my life. And so it's a challenge to grow, to continue to keep my eyes focused on Him. But for us... We need to look at truth. We need to stand on truth. We need to live truth out in our lives each and every day. But he brings judgment against any wicked people who remain unrepented. The unrepentant, well, remains in condemnation by their own choice. It's not because anyone is making them Remain there. It's by their own choice. But this is, he starts out this section, this is who they sinned against. The Lord their God, who had delivered them in such an awesome and powerful way. 
from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Remember that whole thing in Exodus and how it is that God delivered them from the. This is who you're sinning against. What did the Israelites do to have this, this judgment come upon them? Well, instead of honoring and reverencing God, they reverenced other gods. They, in other words, they turned their back on God and went towards the gods of the nations that surrounded them. But this was nothing new. Did you know that they had actually partaken of this very idolatrous and blasphemous worship of other gods, even in the wilderness? Even though the Lord was with them. Pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Manna, he fed them manna every single day. Their clothes did not wear out. Their chanclas were good through the 40 years. They were all good. Everything, water, when they were thirsty, water. And even quail. This is, this is who they're sinning against. And they had done it throughout the last 200 years preceding this moment. God had been holding back his judgment all this time. All this time, just holding it back, holding it back, holding it back. You know, you always hope, and, and this, is, this is God's character. You know, our, our patience toward others too. You know, isn't it your desire to see someone confess and repent, to come to their senses, you know, maybe in a situation and you don't don't grow weary of doing good for in due season if we do not give up we will we will reap a reward you know the reward is oftentimes restoration in that moment that's that god that's god's heart that was his heart he just held back judgment i i don't want to cast judgment what i want to do is is i want to see my people do what's right So what did they do? They walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. They conformed to the ways of the world, to the nations around them. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Listen, brothers and sisters, I know this is a struggle. Why? Because we are strongly influenced by the environment in which we live in. I understand that. There's so many things that can distract us and pull us away. 
But let me tell you that we're, we're in this together. There's a reason why we're here this evening. Because we need to come together. We need to hear the word. We need to hear God's truth. And be reminded one more time. Can you tell me one more time? One more time how it is that I am, I am to more closely resemble my God and my Savior, Jesus Christ, my Lord. And how it is that by His Spirit, we can do this. And we can draw away from the world and draw unto Him who is our prize and our goal and the one whom we will see one day in all of his glory. Tell me once again. Because we could find ourselves in the same place, especially if we're duped, fooled into believing that we can kind of draw away from the fellowship of the saints Pretty soon as we draw away from the fellowship of the saints, we also stop in the fellowship of the word. We stop praying and we find ourselves in a bad place, joining forces with the system of the world and, and we're drawn away. Well, this is what, where the Israelites were. And in verse 9, again, it says, And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did, whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this. It's interesting, it says here that they performed secretly against the Lord their God. Let me ask you this, what's done in secret? Is, is anything done in secret? We could hide it from each other, right? But we can't hide anything from God. And that's what's most important. Luke chapter 8, verse 17 says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Luke 12, 2 says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Nothing. And just the fact that we're reading this, that we're reading about all of this, proves that it was not done in secret, but in full view of God. And their actions brought about consequences of judgment. You know, sin blinds. And sin also clouds our judgment. It distorts our perspective. It makes us think and say things that are just off. You know, and people that... As you walk with the Lord and hear someone that is in sin, you, you, you can discern it. You, you see it. It's like, oh, this, this person is, is not right. Sin clouds our judgment. We're not sober-minded. It makes us think that we can do things without God knowing. Kind of like Adam. Interesting how 
Adam had that intimate relationship with God. And can you imagine meeting with him in the cool of the day, every day? And yet at one point, he thought that he could hide from God. You know, when God asked, um, Adam, where are you? It wasn't like, man, you got me. Adam, I can't see you. I, I don't know where you are. It was, it was so Adam could confess. That's why he asks the question. That's why he asks us. That's why we can be asked this evening. Where are you? We should be able to say at that moment. Why? Because we know God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do we have to lose? At, at that very moment, he's given us an opportunity. Son, daughter, just, just come out. Confess and repent from your sin. Because I desire restoration. I desire to have that, that right relationship with you. I don't want you to remain in, in that place where you're at. That's grace. That's God's mercy. It's like Adam trying to hide his nakedness with a leaf. Pathetic. Right? You, you think about that, you know, in your mind's eye, you think, that's just pathetic. That's how we look when we're trying to hide our sin. Hide our sin. It's not hidden. Everything is revealed before the Lord. By the way, just because we don't believe or agree with this truth doesn't mean that it isn't so. Listen, the high places also were unauthorized places of worship, and we've talked about this, right? We've gone through it. Uh, these are places that they would sacrifice, they would go and worship um, God. But this, is, this speaks uh, to a people who choose to worship God their way. They have no idea what it, what it is to worship God in a biblical manner. And they, they, they start saying things that don't match up with the word. Well, I can worship God in my own way. No, you can't. So, I'm sorry. You're, you're wrong. You cannot. He prescribes a way. And we honor him by following that. To do so actually is, is far worse than we could ever think or imagine. You know, to do, to worship God in an unbiblical way is actually this. It's to commit idolatry. And the reason why it's idolatry is because you're making God in your image. To fit your likes. I'm going to fit him into my life. And I'm going to worship him however I see fit. That way I can do whatever I want to do. And then he could just come along for the ride. Well, that's idolatry. Here's the other thing is that, well, why didn't God warn? Well, he warned. He warned amply. Verse 13 says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Prophet after prophet was sent by God to warn and call on them to turn, that is, to repent from their evil ways and keep his commandments and his statutes. Which ones? 
the ones that they knew as the law of Moses. And the ones that God commanded their fathers to keep, it was his, it's his word. What a father has been warning of and trying to avoid comes to pass when the child chooses to reject the sound counsel of the truth and instead do what is contrary, the reaping of what has been insistently sown comes to fruition. You know, I, I know that personally with my, my boys. My desire is that, again, that, like, change, like, please. You know, I'm trying to give you every opportunity to, to do the right thing. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to talk to you again. I'm going to give you counsel. But that, that which is being withheld at some point is reaped if what they're doing is not right. At some point, it's fulfilled. It's complete. Patience is done. And that's it. God had been warning and they continually rejected those warnings and continued in idolatry and the wicked practices of the surrounding nations. So God gave them over to those nations they so loved. They proved, but they proved it by doing exactly what they were doing. They loved, they loved the, the, the sin of those nations more than they loved God. And the Lord here was testifying against them as he is witness of everything. It is time to repent and turn back to the Lord, church. There are too many ways in which the church is compromised. Humility before God is lacking. And the pride and arrogance that is present, evident by self-centered worship and living, undermines our ability to surrender to the Lord and live our lives according to God's word. Matthew 16, 24 said, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We can also note Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 and Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, which because of time we cannot go into those. So let's continue. Verse 14 says, But they would not listen but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of of Judah only. And as we have learned, even with knowledge, they refuse to humble themselves before God. Matthew Poole said, quote, refuse to submit their, they, they refuse to uh, submit their neck to the yoke of God's precepts. This is, serves as a metaphor from uh, stubborn oxen 
that make their necks hard or stiff and will not bow to the yoke. Refuse to take the yoke. First of all, it says they did not believe. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. That's a weird, it's, it's an odd sentence to me because it's, it's odd to say this, who did not believe in the Lord their God. How were they proving that they, they were in unbelief? And their disobedience. That's what when we when we are disobedient to the Lord, this is this is what this is a statement that is true of us. Who did not believe in the Lord their God? Why? Because they they despised, and this is what they did. They despised God's word and despised his promises and even despised his warnings. All of that. I, I don't want anything to do with him. Oh, I I he's my God, but I don't walk it out. It, it's hard to understand how it is that that could even be, right? Anything that was of God, they detested and had contempt for. They did basically what was right in their own eyes. You know, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. They did what the other nations did as we read through, worshipped their gods and worshipped God falsely, but I'm sure was accepted, all of this was accepted by the surrounding nations. All, all like the world around them, all this was good. They thought, man, this is an all-inclusive kind of a worship here. This is pretty cool. So they were in as far as the world was concerned, but with God, obviously, this was an abomination. This was, this was not good. They even burned their own children as offerings to these false gods. We're doing, we may not be burning them, but, but we're ripping them out of wombs. The abortion is more for, because of convenience. And I can tell you, you can do your own study. You can go look at exactly why it is that most women go and have abortions. It's for birth control. It's because of inconvenience. It's the wrong time in their life. Much to say about that, but we're doing the same thing. We, we are. We're doing the same thing. We're so much for just, it's, it's all about me, myself, and I. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and provoked him to anger. They were defying God in, an, in a very real way, challenging him to do something. It's like shaking your fist at God and saying, I dare you. I'm going to continue doing this. And if you were real, you would stop me. Well, he did do something. Because it says in verse 18, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Let's continue on, verse 19. It says, Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, 
They made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king, and Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. And so basically this is an overview of everything that had been taking place up to this point. So Judah, they also fell short. They sinned against the Lord their God. They were more faithful to God than the northern kingdom. And yet at the same time, um, they, you know, they, they also fell short though. But the summation of all that they, they did ended in them uh, being taken, as far as Israel, being taken into captivity by the king of Assyria. Now at the same time, when you see something like this happen to someone else, like for Judah, the southern kingdom looking at the northern kingdom and seeing this happen to them, wouldn't it be a, like a source of warning? Like warning, warning, don't do that. Kind of like when you have you know, your, your brother and, and, and your brother gets in trouble for something. At that point, it should be a warning. Don't do what your brother did, right? And, and that would be the same thing for, for Judah. Don't don't do what the northern kingdom has been doing because this is what God allowed to happen to the northern kingdom. But sadly, Judah did as Israel did in many ways. Verse 24 says, And the king of Assyria uh, brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go. And dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria and came and lived in Bethel and taught them and, and came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So the king of Assyria resettled Samaria with other peoples of the other nations. They were there to repopulate the land with people who were loyal to, favorable to Assyria. Uh, these people didn't fear the Lord, though. And as they came and they occupied that land, what God did was he sent lions and killed some of them. So this was judgment upon them for coming and occupying a land that was not theirs. The king of Assyria was told that the people were being killed. So news came to the king. Uh, and he was told that the reason why this was happening was because they, they didn't know the law of the God of the land that they went in and occupied. And so therefore he said, well, grab a priest from their people. Send them in. That way, he can teach them how to worship uh, the God of that land, is what they... And even with, with that verbiage, with those words, you understand he didn't know Yahweh. He didn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, keep in mind that lions did not cause them to fear the Lord, just to fear for their lives. And neither did the priest that was sent, even though they were taught how to revere the Lord and worship him, 
Not even through him did they actually learn how to genuinely worship God. You know, John 4.24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's why we're learning also how to worship God in spirit and truth. Uh, when we worship God in spirit and truth, it, it's, it's learning how it is that God is pleased. By exercising that faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith in what? That's what's really important. Faith in the word. Faith in God as we have, he's been revealed to us. You know, that's what worshiping in spirit and in, uh, worshiping God in spirit and in truth is. It is to be genuine. It can't be ritualistic. You know, just going through the motions. You know, like, yeah, they, they here at Refuge, they have communion. We come up and we dip the, the cracker and the juice and it's representative of, the, of the, the body and the blood of Christ. And we come back, we pray. And if you just go through the motions, it's meaningless. When you come to worship, singing unto the Lord, even if you know the words, you've been hearing them on, you know, Air One or KSGN, and, you know, you hear some, some of these songs and you, and you sing them. They're some even older songs. And even though you know them, if, if they're not from the heart, if they're not in spirit and in truth, if you're not, if you're not even mentally connected, it's for nothing. It's just a ritualistic practice. You've learned how to worship, but you're not actually worshiping. If you go through life and you're just going through the motions, being a quote-unquote good person, and you don't know why you're doing it, you don't understand that, that you're, you're, you're doing these things to glorify the Lord. The, the manner in which you conduct yourself, you respond to people, is to honor the Lord. You have the wrong motive. You're not worshiping the Lord. This priest taught them how to worship, but yet they were just going through the motions. You know, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen, a person can learn how to worship God, but that doesn't make him a true worshiper of God. A genuine conversion is known by a love for Jesus a love for his word, a love for his people. And that is according to scripture. You can see that in 1 John chapter 2. They learned, but the people didn't just worship God. This was part of it. They continued to worship the gods of the nations. And let's go through the, the rest of this chapter. Verse 29, we'll see how it is that they that they responded, but every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. The men of Babylon made Sekoth Benoth, the men of Cuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Dramalek. And and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvaim. They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of, high, of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines 
of the high places. Now, who are the authorized priests of Israel? They came from, what's that? The Levites, right? So, but they were just pulling from whoever. Whoever was willing, just come. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes or the rules or the law or the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, you shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them, but you shall fear the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandments that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods. And you shall not forget the covenant that I made with you. You shall not fear other gods, but you shall fear the Lord your God, and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. However, they would not listen, but they did according to their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, so they do to this day. The problem, again, no relationship with God. Therefore, no trust in Him, no fear of Him, and no desire to glorify Him in any way. They they were making stuff up as they went along. Listen, we must not take His grace, God's grace, for granted. And use it perhaps as that, that grace as, as an excuse or, or a license to sin, to live a life of compromise. A friend and pastor of, a friend of mine and a pastor of Living Way Christian Fellowship in Hemet, Jesse Cuaron, he said this, quote, you can believe God's word by faith or learn it by consequence, close quote. I thought that was perfect. In either way, we come to know it. I'll add this, God's grace does not make compromise right. It may be that he's given you more time to repent on your own, so therefore it's mercy, and it's an exercise of his patience. And a person will prove God right by bearing fruit of righteousness or bearing the consequences of sin. For you and I, for everyone, The last statement is this. You pick. Father, we know that the decision is ours. But I pray that we make the right one. Lord, as we know how good you are, oh, what you've delivered us from, let our lives reflect a faithfulness toward you, a zeal for your glory. Let us stand fast, not fearing other gods, Lord, but only fearing you, reverencing you, 
proving that you have our whole heart. Lord, your word tells us that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And your word tells us that there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Lord, for many here, perhaps all of us, Lord, we've, we've yielded ourselves to you. We've confessed our sins. We've repented, Lord, and we've cried out to you. Jesus, to be our Savior and our Lord. But I do ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sin. Because we know that judgment begin, begins here. And, and I pray, Father, that, that we would be judges of our own lives, Lord. That we would confess those things. Be humble before you. And, and Lord, simply cry out to you. And ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. That you would pour your grace out upon us. Lord, that you would strengthen us. That, that, that you would lead and guide us, Lord, that as we deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow you, Lord, that, that, uh, that you would help us along the way. And, and I know you are faithful to do that, for that is what you desire of us. But I do ask, Lord, that if there's anyone, whether they be online, watching, or here, and have not surrendered their lives to you, that today be the day of salvation. Lord, it's a simple confession of our sins. It's a request for forgiveness and asking Jesus to be Lord and Savior. I pray that, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation and that your church would continue to be built up. You add to it as you see fit. We thank you for this moment in your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name.